So this is our fifth sermon on the book of Job. We're going to look at chapter 6 and 7, two chapters this morning. And what we've learned so far about Job is that he's, he's wealthy, he's righteous man. He he's, has no sins, apparent sins, but God offered him to the adversary to test and say, you know, Job has served me for nothing. And Satan, the adversary, do not believe that and say, if you take the protections away from him, he will he will curse your name. And up until now, we we haven't heard a single curse in the sense that God uttered towards God. Uh, today, we probably come close to that. Uh, that say, the adversary will sounds like he's gonna win this bet uh, with with the Lord with God. But well, let, let us see how, how it turns out. So last week, we look at how Eliphaz, Job's oldest friend, spoke for the first time and accused Job of hiding his sins. Remember when Eliphaz said, who in the world who are innocent perish? No one. The fact that you're suffering right now, Job, the fact that you're going through all this it must be because you brought this upon yourself. It must be because of your sin. And today we're going to look at Job's response to that very accusation that Eliphaz throw at him. And I've said before that the bulk of the book of Job is poetry. And because it's poetry, it's not as simple. And we need to spend a little bit more time. We need to slow down a little bit. Look, looking at all the different word images in order for us to understand the meaning, the depths of the meaning. I think that's why it's, um, when, when I look at the classic preachers and theologians in the 16th century, like John Calvin, one of my, my heroes, on the book of Job in the 1600, uh, on the 1500 in the 16th century, he preached 159 sermons on the book of Job. And on, on these two chapters, chapter 6 and chapter 7 alone that we're going to cover today, John Calvin preached nine sermons out of this. So you can imagine how rich this is. Uh, we, we're going to try to make it a lot shorter, not, not because we are better than John Calvin, but you know, just because perhaps we are, we are not as good as John Calvin. That's why we, you know, we can't sustain that kind of depth. But let us try and dig and delve into this beautiful two chapters as much as we can today. Uh, so we're going to look at Job's reply, Job's response to Eliphaz in these two chapters. We're going to look at how in, in chapter 6, Job addresses Eliphaz. And in chapter 7, Job mainly addresses God. Okay, And we're going to look at specifically suffering from the sufferer's point of view. So, so far, uh, we look at from the narrator's point of view, we look at from uh, Job's friend's point of view, from Eliphaz's point of view. This is the first two chapters, the extended um, response from Job. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the suffering, look at suffering from the sufferer's point of view. We're going to look at Job, three things, Job's condition, Job's response, and Job's honesty. Job's condition, Job's response, and Job's honesty. 
Now, Job's, Job's condition, I mean, we, for us to understand Job's condition, we got we to gotta appreciate, uh, we need to understand Job's condition in order for us to appreciate his, his suffering his, his, and how, why the way he responds, the way he, he's going to respond to Eliphaz. Um, so for us to, to do that, we need to understand his condition and why Job is so raw and so honest and so blatant so to speak, in his response. So what, 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 what about Job's condition? Well, first, first of all, Job has suffered long. Um, we may not be aware of how long Job has suffered. Uh, it wasn't explicit in the book. Um, but we know it's, it's, it's not just a day or two. Yes, the, the calamities that befall, befallen upon Job and his family happen perhaps in a day, in the bling of an eye. But Job has suffered long. You know, in those days, there were, there were no telephone. There was no internet. News traveled rather slowly. So for Job's friend across all over the world to hear, even to first hear the news that what has happened to Job's and Job's family, that takes time for the news to travel. Um, let alone for, for those friends of Job, upon receiving the news to come to Job. There was no car, there was no airplane, so they need to travel to Job for all of them, for three of them to come and travel to Job, to, to have received the news and travel to Job takes quite some time. And so while it's not clear how long Job has been suffering, it certainly at least, at least has been months. Because when, when Job's friend come, they sat, the Bible says they sat with him for seven days and seven nights without uttering a word. So if you look at uh, Job chapter 7, verse 2 to 3, let me read to you. Like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. So we could see at least has been months. Uh, there's one extra biblical resource. So outside of the Bible that write of Job and speculate. Uh, let's leave it at, at, at speculation that Job throughout, his, um, throughout the book of, of Job, he suffered over 40 years before God restored him. Is it 40, over 40 years? I don't know. And the Bible doesn't say that. But what we can say, this is, this is prolonged suffering. It's not days, but perhaps months, perhaps even a couple of years or more than a couple of years. Okay. So Job's condition, the first thing is Job has suffered long. The second thing I want to say is Job not only suffered long, but he suffered deeply. There are people who suffered long, but their suffering is not deep. But this is not the case with Job. Not only that he suffered long, he has suffered deeply as well. So a, a few things I want to I wanna highlight and how Job has suffered. For example, he has been betrayed by his friends. And perhaps some of us have been betrayed in our life by, and, you know, by, by our friends as well. So let's look at verse 14 and 15. Job says this in, in chapter 6, Job 6, 14 to 15. He who, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty, 
My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrent stream, torrential streams that pass away. So what Job is saying here is to, towards his friend, to, to Alphas in this case, is they have withhold kindness. Alphas has withhold, and the three friends have withhold kindness. That's the Hebrew word hasset. Uh, kindness towards Job. They forsake the fear of the Almighty. So Job was accusing them, said, because you haven't extended kindness to me, you have no fear of God. So Job feels like he has been betrayed by his friends. And then he, he mentioned about the, the torrent bed, Wadi, which is a stream in, 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 in Israel uh, or in the desert area. This torrent bed are filled up with water during, during rainy season. So there are water during rainy seasons, but there's no water during summer season. So what happened here is, if you look at, if you read nine, verse 19, chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, he, he explained to us why, why he used these pictures, this imagery. The caravans of Tamar look and the travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. He said, just like this torn bed in the desert that, seem, that, that only have water during rainy season and, and dried up uh, during uh, summertime, Job accused his friends to be like that, like that torrent bed. It's like a false expectation. Job expect comfort and kindness from them, but instead they're just like this torn bed in the summer season where when people from afar look, oh, there's, there's that wadi, there's that torrent bed, there's water there for refreshing. But as they come, come over there in verse 20, say they were ashamed because they were confident. But when they come there, they are disappointed. There's no water of refreshment for refreshment. So Job was so utterly uh, disappointed for the betray, from, because of the betrayal of his friends that he expect water, freshness, spring of water from the friends, but they offered none. And... What else? How, how, how else did Job suffer? How about loss of wealth? How many of us, perhaps, some of us, perhaps, listening this morning have experienced bankruptcy? And that's what Job has experienced. All in the blink of an eye, in a day, in a single day, all his wealth are gone, are taken away unexpectedly. See, when, when it comes to businesses that went bankrupt, perhaps there are precedents. It's not unprecedented. There's precedents, perhaps has been mishandling uh, business hasn't been well for many years. You know, company don't just bankrupt overnight. Um, so perhaps they're mishandling of that. So it's kind of expected, but not so with Job. Everything went well and all of a sudden, without reason, his wealth disappeared just like a vapor. <coughs> so he has suffered a loss of wealth, a great wealth. And how about the loss of someone you love? Uh, it must be hard to, to lose someone. Some, some of us have experienced that. It is tough and the, the pain we will still feel when we lost someone we love. The pain we'll still feel for many years to come. And can you imagine a loss of a child that you love? And for Job and Mrs. Job, it's not just one child. Is all his children, all 10 of them, in a tragedy, in a single day, 
all of them are taken away from him. And how about the loss of faith, uh, of health? Um, so he has lost wealth and now health as well. The Bible tells us in, in Job that we just read, Job 7 verse 5, he said this, My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. You know, when, when, when we are not healthy, when we are sick, when I'm sick, at, at, you know, let, let's talk about myself. When, when I'm sick and it's easy for, for people close to me to accuse of me and rightly so that because I haven't been exercising or I haven't been eating a good diet, you know, eating too much junk food or anything like that. So that's understandable when you're sick and you don't have a good lifestyle or healthy lifestyle, but not so for Job. Like he, he was having this terrible, he, he's ha- experienced these terrible boils on his body, itchy and painful boils to the bones, the Bible says. Not because of his fault, not because of his bad diet. Um, and can you imagine that, uh, having, having suffered that greatly from health point of view, without any warnings, the suffering of boils, hit him and this is this is for us to understand what we about to look at later on um, in our second and final point is we need to understand this that job job condition is not like any other conditions that I personally haven't haven't experienced or even known anyone to have experienced the extent of what job is experiencing so we, we must slow down and, and look at all the, the, the suffering. So let us sympathize with him. Let us see how much he has suffered and how long he had suffered. And Job's, uh, on, on Job's friend, let's look at Job's friend in verse 21, chapter 6, verse 21. Job says this, For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and afraid and are afraid. So what what Job is saying is this. Uh, another translation is uh, saying you have now become his, become God's. Just so what Job has always understood that God is in control. That the fact that he experienced suffering, it has something to do with God. Okay, there's no question about that. Sometimes uh, we we may questions where this coming from. From Job's point of view, he understood clearly. God is always in control, his full control, that if anything happened to him, all that happening to him, God must have his hands on this. So when he, we said in verse 21, chapter 6, verse 21, about his friends, he basically accused his friends of being afraid of God and taking God's side. He said, you are now become his because you're afraid of him. Rather than giving me comfort, extending kindness to me, now you're taking God's side and accuse of me, accuse me, of sinning against God. And, and Job is bitterly disappointed and for these false and pa- painful accusations from his friend. And in verse 24, 25 in chapter 6, let me read to you. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how have I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you? Reproof. What is Job saying? Job saying is like, well, teach me and I will listen. 
But your reproof reproves nothing. They are meaningless. What you are saying is untrue. But if you, what you are saying is true, I will listen. So Job is now directly addressing what Eliphaz accused him of, that no one who is no one, no innocent person, uh, perished. And Job said, "What are you talking about? What are you reproving?" So that's that's Job's suffering. Uh, it's not only long suffering; it's deep suffering, from from all all sides. You see, from all sides. So how how did Job respond then? So this is our second point, Job's response. In chapter 7, uh, we'll see how, how Job now shifting his response from his friend Eliphaz to God. And throughout the book, the rest of the book uh, of Job, we will see more and more. Job's turning away from addressing his friends and turning more and more towards God. And this is the beginning. And chapter 7 is mainly... Uh, dressing to God. So in terms of affliction, we, we find that the only thing from the book of Job we can learn, the only thing that could comfort us is in the presence of God, not away from the presence of God. Job understood this. So in his deep suffering, knowing that God is in control, God must have his hands in this. Rather than turning away from God, he's turning towards God. Though his method may not be something that we would like to replicate, the way how how he speaks to God, but he's approaching God. He understands in suffering, the only way that could comfort him is in the presence of God. And he's drawn to God. Therefore, Job is drawn to God more and more. As he suffered long and deep, he's drawn to God more and more. A couple of things I want to say about Job's response um, and why he responds in that way. The first thing is regarding Job's vision. Because of his suffering, Job's vision is impacted. He don't see as clearly anymore. Obviously, he understood. He, he's a person who's righteous, who understood God. That's why he understands that this suffering that he's experiencing, God must have his hands on, on this. So, But because of suffering, his vision is blurry has become blurry and he could see we could see that in um how in chapter three we look at a couple of weeks ago how job wanted death from birth a quiet death even perhaps perhaps um not even being conceived in the mother's in in his mother's womb because he said this this suffering is so deep and so painful and so hard for me i rather died in my mother's womb or even not even be born at all. So now he, because of his blurry vision, uh, he want, wanted death, but he, he doesn't want a, a quiet and peaceful death anymore. He said even a violent death is better than what he's experiencing right now. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 15 to 16. So that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. Job is addressing God. He said like, instead of experiencing this pain, I I prefer to have a strangling death, a painful, violent death. And then again in in, in the next couple of verses, 17 and 18, 
What is man that you make so much of him and, and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. See, this, this may sound familiar to us, this verse when he said, What is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. Because you find similar one from coming out from the mouth of King David in Psalm. So let's look at that in Psalms 8 verse 4. So listen to this. Psalm 8 verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Sounds similar to what Job is saying but has totally opposite meaning. Because King David, when King David says this, sing this psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's King David acknowledges God's goodness. Like, who are we? Who are we, men, humankind, that you think of us? That's King David's approach to God. But when, when Job is saying, what is man that you make so much of him? He, Job understands that his life is fragile. Why, why God put his mind and try to pick the mistakes of, of a man? Why God is so picky that from morning, he watchful eyes are looking at him. You know, I, I remember uh, if, you, if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings, in the, in, in the story, in the book, and in the movie, Lord of the Rings, there's this, the eye of Sharon, Sauron, the bad guy, always look out, always watching, try to find mistake. Um, that's what Job is saying in God with his blurry vision. God, who are we that, that you make so much of? us or me that you set your heart on me why are you so picky why you try to find mistakes in me so rather than even though they uttered seemingly the same words king david and job uh, job understood it totally differently when he uttered these words he 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 sees life in the most negative point of view possible so we may be suffering, two people may be suffering the same way and may be praying the same way to God, seemingly, but have understood God in a totally different, opposite understanding of who God is. So Job couldn't see how he could escape his present calamity. And, um, and he says like, leave me alone for my days our breath. He basically said, my, my life is fragile. I'm, I'm about to die anytime. That's how much he suffered. I'm about to die anytime. But if we take a peek, you know, this is a, a bit cheating here, but if we skim through to the last chapter of Job, we will see that Job will live until 140 years. But Job didn't know that because of his suffering. He has blurry vision. He can't see clearly. Just like Job, sometimes our visions are blurry. We are very short-sighted. Some of us realize this. Others are not. Others, uh, others things that we we are, we're pretty good. You know, we we're you know we're visionaries and we can predict the future and that kind of stuff. But the history, if we look at history of humankind, uh, humankinds are very short-sighted. We have blurry vision. Even the best of visionaries of our days, or even in the history, the entire history of humankind, our visions have been proven to be short-sighted again and again. I'll, I'll, I did a bit of research uh, digging up on this, and let me just share a couple, uh, a, view, a few of uh, short-sightedness of humankind. 
some of these are funny, uh, in my opinion, anyway. So, Charlie Chaplin in 1916, he, Charlie Chaplin is a, he was a famous actor during the silent film where, where the actors don't speak. And he's very famous and very rich in those days. He says this, the cinema is, a, is little more than a fad. It's, it's a trendy now kind of idea. It's a canned drama, drama in a can. Uh, what audiences really want to see is flesh and blood on the stage. So Charlie Tuppen, even though he's a actor, he doesn't see any futures in films, in cinemas. It's like people want to see real people on stage, not on, on screen. Yet today, the film industry is a multi-billion dollars industry. And this is uh, another one. Uh, let me get, tell He's um, His name is Simon Newcomb. He's a Canadian-American astronomer and mathematician. He's a clever guy. And he says this, 18 months before the Wright brothers who invent airplane, uh, 18 months, just less than two years before Wright brothers flight, first flight, okay? And he says this, flight by machines heavier than air is unpractical and insignificant, if not utterly impossible. This coming from math of, of an astronomer and mathematician, a clever man. It's impossible. How can man fly? Machine can fly. And now the president of IBM, from, uh, he, his name is Thomas Watson. He's president for about 50 years at IBM. In 1943, he's, he thought that there was a world market for maybe five computers and 5,000 copy machine. Perhaps there's a market for five computers. Today alone, about 90% of Australian households access the internet from home. And, and let me leave you with this last one. Um, uh, we all know YouTube. So one of the founders is an Asian guy by the name of Stephen Chen. Um, he initially questioned, even he himself as the founder in, back in 2005, questioned this, the YouTube's long-term strategy. He questioned it. He said this, there's not just that many videos I want to watch. And the first YouTube was uploaded in April that year. And today, 5 billion videos are watched on YouTube every single day. So if you look at the history, like just, there's so many of this um, around us. If you just look at the history, human being, you and I, we are very short-sighted. Even the best of us are very short-sighted. And we are very short-sighted in the, in the, even in, in the sense of the worldly matters, in the matters that we could understand. If that's the case, then how can we possibly understand the plan of the heavenly things, the plan of the infinite God in the heavenly realm? We couldn't. We are very short-sighted. That's why I believe Paul, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 11, verse 33-34. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
No one, no one has been God's counselor. His mind and his plan is unscrutable and his judgment unsearchable. This is where then how we should respond is, this is where I believe faith comes in. Because we have blurry vision. We can't understand, we can't see the whole picture. This is where faith come in, comes in. But let us not be mistaken about what faith is. Because some of us might think that faith is blind. It's a leap in the dark. It is far from that. It's quite the opposite. And John Lennox, uh, a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, says this. Faith is a commitment based on evidence. It's not a leap in the dark. It's not, it's not that faith is blind. Quite the opposite, according to John Lennox. Faith is... If we want to understand this deeper, we have to understand that faith is letting go our ego, letting go our arrogance before the mighty God. That's what faith is. Letting go our ego, letting go our arrogance, and running towards God, the Almighty, depending on Him, based on the evidence that God is powerful, that God is in control. And yet, out of all that, with the understanding of God is loving, that He loves us. That's faith. So faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not blind. Faith is putting on glasses so that we can see clearly who God is. So for us to put on that glasses, we must admit first that we, we can't do anything. We can't see clearly without God. So that's the first thing that, that we, we understand in um, from... from um, Job condition and Job's uh, how, how he would respond is that he has blurry vision so he responds in the way he responds he sees God just almost to the fact that he King David saw God but his response is quite different because there's blurry vision another one is he has a clouded mind in his suffering his mind is clouded he can't think clearly with clarity anymore uh, Job believe this that Job believed that God is omnipresent, which is the right thing. That God is omnipresent; He's everywhere. Um, he he says this in uh, chapter seven, verse twenty. If I sinned, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? So Job saying, God is the watcher of mankind. This is partly accurate theology and understanding about God. That God is watcher of mankind. God believes in the omnipresence of God. Yet, he doesn't believe that God is kind. So when he say, If I sin, what do I do to you, you watchers of mankind? He said in a negative way. Like, why are you watching me in this way? Why are you being unkind to me? And then in verse 16, he says, just, just leave me alone. Chapter 7, verse 16, he said, Just leave me alone and leave me to die. Another thing that Job believes is not only that God is omnipresent, that God is omnipotent, that God is all-powerful as well, and, and that God is a warrior. See, the whole Old Testament we can see God is being pictured as a warrior, a mighty warrior who fights for his people, who fights on behalf of the people of God for Israel. Yet in, um, in chapter 6, Job 6 verse 4, Job used the same understanding of God in a negative way. He says this, For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, 
My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. In his clouded mind, he sees God as omnipotent, but he is not fighting for him, but he's fighting against him. Even shooting arrows, not just any arrow, poisonous arrows at Job. So as you can see how in his clouded mind, he has distorted has distorted view and understanding of who God is. Yes, God is a mighty warrior, but God is the mighty warrior who fights for his people, not against his people, as Job believed. You see, we, we might have the right theology, understanding of God is omnipotent and omnipresent like Job, but when we are in deep suffering, our, our minds could be clouded. We might not be able to think with clarity. Uh, this is when I believe the time where we need friends the most, just like Job needed his friends the most. Job expect high things from his friends to deliver, to help him through this time. And I just, in this time, I guess, if anything we could pray for and learn from the story of Job is this, that let us pray for friends who could help us in this difficult time to sympathize with us. Or perhaps it is someone else who's suffering and we're in the position as friends. And let us pray to have the wisdom to help our, pe- our friends who are suffering. Let us not be like Eliphaz in this case. God is not a distant God. Uh, he's, he's a hands-on God. We can seek Him. We can go to Him in our present troubles. Let's see it as, um, as God's trying to speak to us in our present calamity. Um, some people say uh, all suffering are God's megaphone to get our attention. So perhaps it is if you're suffering right now. God is trying to get to us. He's speaking loud and clear to us through the suffering so that He can bring us back and draw us back to Him. Perhaps we've been drifting away from God and not realizing it. And in this present suffering, God is saying, return to me, draw back near to me. So finally, on the third point on Job's honesty. So by this point, if you look at how... um, raw Job's emotions and words are towards God. Perhaps we, we like to dismiss Job by this point. And, and one has to wonder why someone like Job, who, who talks in this way towards the Almighty God, get to have a book in the Bible, got to have a place in the Bible, even the book named after him in the Bible, right? Um, we, we want to have someone in there with full of faith in the sense that, you know, someone who prays God and love God regardless of suffering. But Job is not that person. Job say, just kill me. Even violent death is better than this suffering. Why he's in there. Um, so that's what we're going to look at in the last point on Job's honesty. So we have seen how bad and miserable uh, a friend of Job is, Aliphaz. And we also seen how desperate Job is by this stage. So what happened then is Job let his emotions out. 
all raw emotions out to God. Job was candid. Um, if you read carefully, uh, we, as we look at a few few elements and few verses from chapter 6 and chapter 7, how Job was very honest about his feelings towards God. And the things that he said to God are, are quite raw. Uh, though he was, even though he was completely wrong, his assumptions about God, um, God doesn't seem to hold that against Job. Because at the end, God vindicated Job and said Job was not in the wrong. So there's something in there that we could learn uh, that it's okay to be honest, to be raw in our emotions and our words with God. I think partly it's because we are created as human beings. We, we are not robots. God didn't create us as robots or, or worse still, or just as brains on stick who has no emotions. God created us who we are with emotions with hearts who, that feels. So Job let his, all his emotions out. Uh, the lessons for us here is that in our pain and suffering, we too can turn to God. As much as we want to seek out and turn to our friends, though they may be helpful, the invitation this morning is turn to God in your suffering, in your deepest needs, turn to God. It's okay not to be okay with God. Sometimes we think that only when we are all um, well um, spiritually, when we all can hold everything together, that when people ask, how are you going? We are marvelous. We are wonderful. We are, we are superb. Then we can approach God. The lessons for us this morning is no. When it comes to our God who created us the way we are, it's okay not to be okay. When we're being asked how we're going, perhaps we could practice, I'm, I'm not so well. Instead of the standard answer, I'm fine. Job's friend didn't respond um, with compassion towards Job. Um, they, they cannot handle his honesty. So that's Job's friend's problem. They cannot handle Job's honesty. Job telling them as it is, and they just can't handle it. Some of us perhaps are like Job's friends, where we are more comfortable with friends who are doing well than those who are suffering. Perhaps we are more drawn towards those friends of us who are happy and, and having no issues in their life. But those who have issues, who have problems, who are a bit difficult, we try to avoid them. Perhaps we are like that. And if we are like that, let us repent from that. Let us learn from Job's experience and Eliphaz, with Eliphaz and his friends. That let, we, we need to be more comfortable with those who are suffering. So not only God, what we learned today, what we've seen is not only God and what how Job uh, experiences, not only that God is omnipresent and omnipotent, God is also omniscient. He's all-knowing. God, God already knows what Job has 
experience and what, what Job is going through, the same as God knows your, what you're going through right now. Yet God still wants us to be open and to be raw to Him, to still draw near to Him and speak to Him and talk to Him about our suffering, our emotions. See, Job honesty, Job knows because God is who God is, His honesty with God will not jeopardize their relationship. Not so with our friends, right? So sometimes we have to filter our emotions, what we say to our friends. Because sometimes, perhaps, if we are too honest about our vulnerabilities, that may jeopardize our relationship with our friends. But not so with God. Our relationship with God is secure. Our honesty with Him will not jeopardize our relationship with God. In fact, when we're honest with God, it will only bring us closer to Him. So Job lets his emotion out. That's the first thing we know about uh, Job's honesty. The second thing is, we may miss this, but this is very crucial, that Job turns to God in his suffering. Let's look at verse uh, chapter 6, verse 8. This is crucial for us to understand, even though all the problems that we see with Job's response, his response is towards God. Job 6 verse 8, Oh, that I may have, that I might have my request that God would fulfill my hope. What is that? Well, that's Job's prayer. Job is praying to God in this suffering. Job make a request to God. Yes, he may not be asking the right thing, like, just kill me now. But he's approaching God for it. He didn't say, I'm just going to kill myself. Take the matter into his own hands. He approached God in prayer. He said, let me request that you may take my life. You know, he even, this is, this is interesting, right? Job even accused God as someone who uh, watched him to court caught him red-handed, right? So if you look at um, uh, towards the end of chapter 7, verse 20 onwards, 20 and 21, I'm reading to you. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watchers of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall live in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. So Job said, I'll... I'll in it, looking at my condition, my present suffering, I'll die soon. So when you look out, to, when you seek me, I'll, I will not be there. And he said, why have you made your mark on me? Why have you marked me? Again, this is, this is a, a negative view, negative point of view from Job. And, and the opposites, you can see from a Psalm 130. Let me read to you similar, similarly. Psalm 130 verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So what the psalmist is saying is this. If God would keep track of our problem, our iniquities, our sins, no one could stand before God. And Job understand that. Job understand, Lord, if you mark me, if you watch me like the way you watch me, then who can survive? Who can stand before you? Yet, um, so if God would, would do that to any of us, no one could be able to stand. Even if we sinned 
So Job says this, even, even if I sin, even if I sin, why can't you pardon my sins? Even though Job don't believe he has sinned, and we know as the readers from the prologue that Job has not sinned against God because due to uh, and, and, and cause his suffering. That's not the case. That's not the reason. Yet Job says, even, let's just say, if I sinned, why can't you pardon? Why can't you forgive me? And you can sense the deep anguish and pain that Job experienced knowing who God is. And he say, God, why can't you just let me go? Why can't you just let me die? See, Job didn't know this, but we do. Because we have the New Testament. Uh, in a series of Job's questions to God in, in verse 20 and 21, why this, why that, why this, why that, God has remained silent throughout, right? Even until the last chapter, the very end, God has remained silent in regards to Job's questions of why, why, why. But God did not remain silent forever. There's one day, until one day, in a place called Golgotha, we heard God's answer for Job and for you and me who are suffering or see people suffering, who is asking God, why, 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 why? On the cross, on that Golgotha, God answered us loud and clear when he nailed his son Jesus to the cross. God answered this. I will take away, when, when Job said, if I have sinned, why don't you just take away my transgressions? And on that cross, God says, I will take away your transgressions, but I must put them on my son, Jesus. And at that moment, we who deserve to be forsaken, to, to, be, to be left to die like Job have asked, instead, we receive forgiveness from God the Almighty. He, as he nailed his son on the cross, Jesus on the cross, instead of forsaking us, leaving us to die, he forgive us. And Jesus, who is without sin, the true Job. See, Job thought he is without sin, right? But Jesus, who is truly without sin, at least without sin of his own, he cried out to God, to his Father on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My brothers and my sisters, Jesus was forsaken so that we can be forgiven today. So that Job can be forgiven. Jesus was forsaken so that life in life and death, whether we are living or asleep, our hope is forever secured in Christ alone. And let us pray.